Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Andy Murphy. Some of the most noxious and toxic threats to the environment end up going down the sewer pipes and storm drains in our homes and communities. Those threats may be out of sight, but they don't disappear until they are adequately treated. Whether it's a municipal sewer system or a home septic tank, wastewater treatment is a major part of keeping us and our families healthy. We'll go behind the scenes and learn about the state-of-the-art tools and methods of sewage treatment right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Shirley Jihad, in for Antonia Gonzalez. In Oregon, the Klamath tribes are considering legal action now to stop the release of Klamath River water to farmers downstream. The tribe opposes the U.S. government plan to release water from the federally run reservoir, the upper Klamath Lake. Severe drought in the area has been ongoing for three years and exacerbates the competing demands for water, farmers, fish, and tribes. Even with the water release, farmers are getting 15 percent of what they would normally get. Last weekend, officials released water from the reservoir to the river to bolster salmon populations already devastated by parasites that grow in low, slow-moving water, but tribes say that's half the normal amount. Suckerfish and salmon have been dying out because of the lack of water from the reservoir to support the health of the Klamath River. Klamath tribes blame the current water crisis on what it calls 120 years of ecosystem mismanagement at the hands of settler society. Calling it the rebirth of a nation, Chippewa Cree tribal leaders welcomed the birth of the first bison in more than 20 years. The Rocky Boy Buffalo Project announced the birth of the bison calf this week and released a video showing the newborn wobbling and standing and nursing. Bison haven't roamed the Rocky Boy Reservation in north-central Montana since the early 1900s. In the 1800s, white settlers, traders, and trappers killed millions of bison. Also, the U.S. military ordered the slaughter of bison to devastate Native communities dependent on the animal for food, clothing, shelter, and cultural ceremonies. Last fall, the tribe celebrated the placement of 11 bison on the Rocky Boy Reservation, thanks to gifts from conservation organizations and other tribes. The Chippewa Cree sustainability leader, Jason Belcour, tells the Great Falls Tribune, With this birth, we are witnessing the rebirth of a nation. After days of veto speculation, Maine's governor signed a bill that significantly expands sovereign control over water regulation, For the Passamaquoddy tribe, the new law eliminates barriers set up in the 1980 Maine Indian Claims Settlement Act, which treated tribes like municipalities rather than sovereign nations. Governor Janet Mills insisted on wording that limits the tribe's control to its own territorial boundary. The legislation returns those sovereign rights that other federally recognized tribes already enjoy. The law was prompted by the tribe's effort to find a viable source of clean drinking water. The requirement they get approval from the state to drill wells on their own land prevented them from moving ahead.
The interim head of Michigan State University's Native American Institute maintains the university discriminated against her and did not adequately respond to her sexual harassment complaints about a colleague. M Live reports Christy Poitra responded this week to a motion by the university to dismiss her lawsuit. She says officials continuously exposed her to discrimination, harassment, and retaliation. She is a Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians descendant. She says, among other things, that MSU denied her equitable pay and failed to resolve her interim status for the past two years. And she says the university shrunk the budget and even threatened to dissolve the Native American Institute. The University of Oklahoma is elevating its tribal outreach efforts. The OU Daily reports the university hired Tana Fitzpatrick in the new position of Associate Vice President of Tribal Relations. Fitzpatrick is a lawyer and a member of the Crow Nation. With National Native News, I'm Shirley Jihad. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Gathering of Nations Powwow, a live event taking place April 29th and 30th on the powwow grounds of Expo New Mexico, featuring song, dance, trader's market, horse parade, and more. Tickets available at gatheringofnations.com and at the gates. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. Do you know what happens to the water and waste that goes down the drain in your home? In cities, wastewater travels down a network of pipes ending at a treatment facility. And in rural rural areas, waste is typically stored in an underground tank. We don't see this complex process, and we don't often think about it unless a drain gets clogged. The Indian Health Service is helping facilitate billions of dollars in federal money for tribal water infrastructure, which includes wastewater systems, in the next few years. In this hour, we'll learn about how wastewater management works in both rural and urban areas of Native America. We'll also share ideas for helping maintain your home system to keep pipes clean and flowing. If you're curious about how wastewater is transported and treated, join our conversation. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I'd like to bring in our first guest joining us from Rockville, Maryland is David Harvey. He's a captain in the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps and the Deputy Director of the Indian Health Service Division of Sanitation Facilities Construction. Welcome to Native America Calling, David. Yeah, hey, Andy. Thanks for having me on the call today. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So we're talking about wastewater systems and um, doing a little bit of research before the show. I know that there's a couple of different uh, systems that exist out there. Uh, what kind of water systems are um, in, in Indian country? Yeah, well, um, 
There are generally uh, kind of two types of systems. You think about wastewater systems. There's uh, individual systems that kind of serve uh, an individual, like a household, a single household, and then there are community systems, like you alluded to in your in your startup there, that have a kind of a series of pipes and manholes and, and lift stations. Um, and then from on these community systems, there they can be uh, discharging systems that would discharge uh, after the, the water is treated into a stream. Um, or they could be non-discharging systems uh, at, uh, as well. And so all, all of those types of systems are, uh, are what we can find in the Indian Health Service um, uh, in supporting tribes to, to um, improve their wastewater access. Okay. And the individual systems, those are septic tanks? Is that right? Yeah, individual systems are comprised of a septic tank and a drain field. So it's a septic tank, a concrete tank that's typically buried in your yard somewhere. And then uh, when you flush the toilet, uh, the uh, the solid uh, solids will, and the water goes into that tank. And then the, the solids will, will settle into the tank. And, and then uh, the, the, the water would then flow out uh, the, the tank into a drain field uh, that would uh, allow the water to percolate down to the soil where there will be some microbes there that will kind of consume some of the uh, organic materials uh, in the in the uh, in the water, and and typically those are are sited in in ways in which that they don't impact the groundwater source. So there's um, kind of guidelines associated with how far the the groundwater level should be from the drain field, um, so that that uh, doesn't doesn't pollute. Okay, um, so so the the waste it it's, uh, sits in that concrete or the the tank, or does it get pump, tank, well, pumped so, out somewhere? Yeah. Yeah, we'll sit in the tank, and, and this is to bring up an important point here that uh, individual systems require some attention of the of the homeowner uh, to know that uh, you know that they will need to be pumped out, and you know that the IHS has some technical assistance along these lines to kind of provide specific guidance to, on when that should be, but uh, there will have to be some actions, uh, you know, in not not yearly, but uh, you know. And a frequency to remove the solids there, so that the the, the uh, tank does not become full, and then uh, doesn't uh, operate in the way that it needs to. Okay, uh, how much do these individual systems, uh, the septic systems, cost usually? Yeah, well, I don't have uh, particular numbers to be able to, mm. to tell, talk to the audience here today, but um, you know those 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 are very uh, you know according to the inflation and, and, and location and what they're put in put in place. But, uh, you know, if uh, the Indian Health Service does support uh, tribes with the provision of these uh, facilities uh, based on the eligibility criteria that we have. And so typically what we're able, to, the Indian Health Service is able to support tri- tribal members um, within those criteria to, to have the, these facilities installed for them. Okay. All right. And um, I'd like to ask a question about the um, couple billion dollars that's coming to the IHS for water infrastructure. But before that, uh, you mentioned like a um, like a, a dispersal system um, of of wastewater. Are those where, where um, what, what kind of communities are those usually, um, you know, taking taking care of? Yeah. So uh... Well, community systems are designed for, and IHS works with tribes. Is designed for any any, any kind of size uh, community that's, uh, that the tribe needs the support for, and um, so typically what we we tend to look for is to, to is to provide the tribe 
uh, you know, with a, with a system that uh, they, they'll be able to support and operate and maintain uh, at the lowest possible cost uh, that meet, that's going to meet the, uh, the, their needs. And so what we would typically look to provide tribes support for is uh, a system that is a non-discharging system, meaning that uh, you have a, a, the water would be retained in a large uh, lagoon area, so it's a, a total retention lagoon, and uh, the, the waste in there would uh, accumulate, but, uh, but and the water would evaporate. And so that, that, that their size, so that, that both of those things kind of occur at a, at a, at a, at a rate that doesn't cause any um, you know, with odors or, or, or challenges or, or any, or any uh, um, leakage of the water into the groundwater table because they're lined. So, so those are kind of the non-discharging systems. Now, um, if there's kind of constraints on the land uh, where the where the where the the community is located, or um, uh, then uh, there may need to be a discharging system. And I, I believe we have some uh, discussions on today with uh, with uh, some of the folks from the Navajo Tribal Tribe that may mm-hmm. be able to talk about their projects. That uh, that then those will be um, maybe a requirement for discharging. And when there's a discharge. And then there's some uh, requirements by the EPA to ensure that the discharge, uh, the, uh, the discharges meet the water quality conditions and don't degrade the water quality conditions in the in the receiving um, waters. But but typically the, the IHS would try to try to um, stay away from the discharging systems because of the, the complexity and challenges with operations if we can. Uh, but uh, the Indian households will support uh, tribes in, in in any any way to support them. Uh, for discharging systems, if they would, uh, if that's the way that uh, the best way that looks like the best solution. Okay, okay. Um, so, how big of an issue is uh, lack of access to wastewater management in Indian country? So, uh, annually, the IHS um, is required by Congress updates the, um, the sanitation needs in Indian country, and in that term. Uh, kind of incorporates water, wastewater, and solid waste. Um, the most recent update that the Indian Health Service had was completed uh, last November, and we, the Indian Health Service, esti- estimated that there's a uh, 3.4 billion dollars worth of need for all sanitation facilities, and uh, of that, about uh, 1.2 billion is related to um, waste wastewater. So that's uh, I guess about 35 percent. Related to wastewater. Okay, and that's the that's the need, right? Is that what you're saying? The need. Yep. Okay, and um, uh, how how are you know this big package from um, uh, President Joe Biden's infrastructure? Um, you know, tr- trillions of dollar package. Um, how much is that going to help uh, access to wastewater management in Indian country? Yeah, well, uh, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that was passed uh, last year is uh, provided uh, the Indian Health Service with $3.5 billion uh, to address sanitation uh, deficiencies in Indian country. And so it should put a, a pretty good... Uh, uh, dent in the uh, in the need. Now, uh, what's what it uh, doesn't do is stop the, the fact that there are what would be facilities that will continue to age uh, and maybe need to be um, addressed and, and, and replaced. 
uh, as well as there's probably going to be some population growth in any country that will be addressed. But in any case, uh, the uh, the investments through the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act uh, are, are, are going to be uh, used to address that $1.2 billion in wastewater need that I just uh, uh, mentioned. Okay. Um, so, so IHS doesn't um, do maintenance on um, these wastewater systems or water systems in any country. Yeah, we the Indian Health Service uh, supports tribes through technical assistance to mm-hmm. operate and maintain sanitation facilities that uh, are, are are constructed uh, through the program, and 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 uh, we we do that through um, various partnerships with uh, uh, EPA uh, as well as uh, USDA. Um, and uh, and some of the, those services are, are delivered through the IHS as well to, to tribes to, to support them. Okay. Um, and are there enough uh, local employees to maintain these systems, or do you find that, um, you know, tribes are always, you know, needing more people to, to work these systems? Yeah, w- workforce shortages uh, across, you know, water and wastewater uh, uh, sector is uh, a challenge in, in in many many uh, communities, uh, tribal and non-tribal, and so it is, it is always a, it's, it's a challenge to attract and, and retain uh, employees uh, with the correct you know, certifications and and to in the water side and with the correct training on the, the wastewater side. So that's you know why the, the technical assistance that you know, the uh, Indian Health Service provides in collaboration with their other agency partners is an important element to ensure that. You know, if there is turnover in staff, that uh, there's a way for that to tri- support the tribes and getting that staff trained on, on how to operate the system. So, yeah, and the short answer to your question is yes, that, that's a problem, but it's, it's, I don't believe it's unique to just tribal communities. Okay. All right. We'll be back right after this short break. Deb Holland has held her post as Secretary of Interior for a little over a year. She brought a lot of hope and pressure with her when she took the position. We'll get perspective on the track record she's built up so far and any potential progress or pitfalls on the horizon. That's on the next Native America Calling. Mesa Lands Community College can help you lead the way in your chosen field. At Mesa Lands, where one in three students is Native American, you get hands-on opportunities working one-on-one with instructors in wind energy, where students go up the turbine in their first semester, silversmithing with access to the largest foundry in the Southwest, and blacksmithing in the cowboy arts. Mesa Lands has a national top 10 rodeo team, too. Info and applications at mesalands.edu. Mesa Lands Community College supports this program. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. We're talking about wastewater systems and management today. If you have a question about how all of this works and what happens when stuff goes down the drain, now's the time to call in and ask. Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We have uh, David Harvey on the line with us. He's the Deputy Director of the Indian Health Service Division of Sanitation Facilities uh, Construction. And I would like to bring in another guest right now. Um, joining us from Fort Defiance, Arizona is Rex Kuntz. He's the Deputy General Manager at Navajo Tribal Utilities Authority, and he's Navajo. Welcome to Native America Calling, Rex. 
Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for the invite. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. So um, I was talking with David about the different kinds of uh, wastewater uh, treatment uh, systems in Indian country. And I wanted to know what kind of uh, wastewater systems are there on the Navajo Nation. Well, David did a good job. Um, I, I know David. We've had a lot of um, interactions and dealings and partnerships. Um, appreciate his work and his time Um time that he's uh, dedicated and spent it on Navajo as well. Um, you know, he, he pretty much covered uh, a good description of, of wastewater technology and supply, but I'll add a little bit more. You do have the septic tank and drain fills uh, for individual homes that are too far from a community system. And then you have a community system that's a network of pipes that you described at the beginning uh, that flow into gravity flow into a treatment facility and the treatment facilities where you have some variations. Um, a lot of things on Navajo were built uh, to be as low maintenance as possible. And so a lot of those community systems feed into uh, what we call an environmental lagoon system. Um, it, it's just a series of cells. And as the wastewater flows into them, the solids settle out and the clarified uh, liquid flows into another cell and at a, a further clarification that continues on. In some cases, um, they're built to um, be pretty pretty large, uh, large surface area. Uh, they dispose of the wastewater, mo most, mostly the liquid by um, evaporation. Uh, so as they go through that system, uh, many of them are, are what, what's called total retention. There's enough of that process that it's able to contain all that wastewater. And then the solids are usually digested by microbiology in in the lagoon, uh, and you know bugs in the water that that basically eat and digest the uh, the solids. Um, at some point in time, you know, after several decades, uh, sometimes that sludge at the bottom does also have to be dredged out and disposed of. But for the most part, that's a self-contained, full retention lagoon. Uh, the next version is that it gets to the point where you may have to discharge into an open waterway. So there are EPA requirements, and we answer to both U.S. EPA as well as uh, the local Navajo Nation EPA, and there are federal requirements that the uh, quality of the wastewater has to meet in order to be discharged. And typically, it, before it's discharged, it's chlorinated and then, and then dechlorinated uh, before it's... Uh, release. It's not drinkable at that point, but it is clean enough to discharge. So we have about seven of those right now on Navajo, probably about 85 uh, lagoon system, community systems. And um, the third migration is a, a mechanical treatment plant. And what those do is you use uh, mechanical means to separate the solids from the water and then mechanical means to further break up and digest uh, the solids and put the water through a, a clarification process. Uh, there's chemicals added, um, and those have a lot more human control, and you can have a better effect on the outcome. Uh, and most of those do eventually discharge, uh, but the water is uh, uh, clean to a much greater degree than the naturalized process. And um, 
the naturalized process really really depends on the biology. Uh, it can be affected by the seasons. It, the process changes a little bit um, during warm weather and, again, during cold weather. So we have to watch it very closely and make adjustments where necessary. But um, the mechanical plant um, will help you have a lot more human input to control the output. But they are expensive, um, averaging you know 20 to 30 uh, uh, million dollars. Wow. Uh, there's a lot of equipment there. There's um, the cost of um, uh, running the plant. You, a lot of times you have to have a, a higher level certified operator, uh, typically more than one. Um, you you have to buy the you know the chemicals and uh, there's a lot of uh, labor intensive work there to man those. Uh, plants. So okay. uh, it does raise the cost a little bit. Um, you did mention um, a little bit about uh, staffing. It, it, we do have those challenges. Um, one, to find qualified and certified operators of the right levels. Uh, we do have training programs to run them through, uh, but it does take a number of years to ramp someone up to full, full certification. Um, we also have the challenge that on Indian country, especially Navajo, um, it's largely residential. There's not there's not a lot of larger cu large customers. Mm -hmm. uh, so typically, utilities have uh, concentrations, like in in the town, uh, in towns where there's a lot of large customers, uh, community um, businesses, uh, commercial properties. There might even be some industry there, and those customers are charged a, a little bit higher rate. And those will subsidize residentials. And on Navajo, we're basically funded by about 95% residential. So our income is not um, very high. And so it takes a lot of work to stretch those dollars. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy just to um, add, add revenue or increase the revenue uh, because of the high unemployment and the low median incomes. So that's always a challenge that you know you have to work through to try to overcome. Uh, so uh, it's a bit of a different scenario than what you experience in other places. But those are basically the um, the ins and outs of Navajo. Um, mm -hmm. We have about 39,000 water customers, and of those 39,000, uh, I believe we have about 11,000 of those that are connected to a domestic system, and then the rest of those customers are too far from a domestic system. They might have pipe water, but they're, uh, they they typically will have a septic tank and drain fill to dispose of their wastewater. Okay. So okay. that kind of paints you a picture of Navajo. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can um, relate. Uh, in Crown Point, one of those, you said, 80, 86 lagoon systems. Um, <laughs> there, there's one right there uh, in Crown Point just off to uh, the side of the town. And um, I was always kind of curious about uh, what that is, <laughs> what that was. Um, and then, uh, you know, I had never, ever, like, seen people uh, working over there. But um, you know, I guess that happens uh, just every now and then since that's very low maintenance, um, a very low maintenance way to, um, you know, deal with uh, wastewater. Um, but I wanted to ask a more specific question. Um, how How is wastewater cleaned? Say, um, you know, when it's going to be discharged into a... Uh, um, 
uh, a waterway um what what actually happens like what what kind of chemicals like goes in it before it's released into a, a waterway okay basically you, the the system will try to separate the solids from the liquids and the liquids go through uh several evolutions of trying to clarify it and remove more and more of the solids down to the very, very fine solids. And so it, it basically that's what it is with the water part. You just get it clarified to the point where it's um, got everything removed from it um, through filtering processes and uh, things like that. And then uh, eventually you get it to the point where it's clear enough to release and you disinfect it with chlorine. And then following that, you you dechlorinate, which means you remove the chlorine from it. So it just comes out as a very clear, clarified liquid. Um, but again, it's not it's not treated to the point where um, you can drink it. That would require more uh, um, intense um, filtering process. The solids are uh, mechanically broken up and reduced as much as possible. And then you go through a process of dewatering uh, those uh, solids further uh, to the point where you have almost all the moisture moved out of it and then you put it into um, a drying process. Um, uh, there's different methods of doing it, but there's chemicals that you can put in there to uh, also further uh, dry it and remove more moisture. And then once you have a, a dried material, um, it, it can either be disposed of into a an approved landfill, or it can be incinerated. So that's kind of the, the two processes. And so typical um, treatment plants will have a treatment train that separates the water and, and the um, uh, solids and it moves it through those processes. And most will at least have two of these trains, so you can take one down and do maintenance on the other. Uh, and then if you need additional capacity as the communities grow, you can always add an, an additional treatment train. That's how you can upsize them. So the, the plants are good in that you can have a greater impact and in effect on them from, from human input, uh, but they also are are set up to where you can, in, um, you can grow them by increasing treatment trains when necessary. So those are the advantages of it, even though they, even though they cost more. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, thank you, Rex. Uh, we have Rex Kuntz on with us. He's the Deputy General Manager at Navajo Tribal Utilities Authority um, in Fort Defiance, Arizona. If you have a question for him or any of our guests today about um, what happens when stuff goes down the drain, uh, you can give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And we do have a caller on the line with us. Uh, we have Jen listening in um, East Texas. She's listening online. Hey, Jen. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for taking my call. I am so excited for the Navajo Nation. I have friends there and I visit there. And I know the situation with water going into the homes that, you know, the infrastructure just has not been there because it's such a huge area. Uh, the Navajo Nation is. So I'm wondering, in Biden's um, allotment of money going to the Navajo Nation, will they be able to add infrastructure to 
many more homes that are just so widespread. It takes so much money to do that. So that's my question. Thank you. You want to answer it or shall I just hang up? (laughs) <laughs> uh, we'll have uh, we'll have Rex um, answer that question for you. Uh, Rex, do you have an answer for Jen here? Sure, sure. Appreciate that. That's a very very good insightful question. And uh, uh, what what happens there is that the Indian Health Service has a sanitation deficiency system that kind of logs in the needs, and um, their current system shows a total of five hundred and forty three million dollars worth of unmet needs. So I earlier said we had about 39,000 water customers connected to our system. And there's we estimate there's about another 14 to 15,000 that don't yet have running water. So that's the target. Now, each year, Indian Health Service funds uh, the connection connecting of homes to a, a public law, public law 86-121. And their charge is to deliver sanitary services to native uh, homes. So Navajo gets a chunk of that money. Uh, the unfortunate part is, you know, due to budgets and constraints, uh, they they aren't aren't able to fund very much of it every year. Uh, roughly about 15 to 20 million a year. Uh, you do have a growth rate. You have other factors. So they're chipping away at it, but it but it wasn't really. Um, uh, you know, significant um, uh, progress just due to funding constraints. So in this infrastructure bill, they basically, in a sense, attempted to fund, fully fund the unmet need. So um, it is a, a dollar amount that was funded for uh, Native uh, countries, Native um, reservations and whatnot, but uh, they're going through the process of um, determining how that money will be allocated. Uh, Navajo, you know, has a very large um, number of uh, members and a, a large number of land base. Uh, so, you know, our hope is that um, with with that we should get a decent chunk of money. But the intent was to try to, as much as possible, fully fund that unmet need. Um, the next challenge is how do you um, make sure that you have the resources necessary to you know, design, uh, construct, and build out those projects. Now, there's always been historically some limitations. Uh, their charge basically is to serve homes, so it it does not take money to um, community development or for future projection, uh, which the nation has to find either through their own ARPA allocations or through other programs, the ability to to grow up the, the added capacity to add commercial development, uh, business development, uh, community you know, improvements, uh, things like that, that, that may consume water. So I think through partnerships, um, uh, those parties can partner together and try to build systems with uh, both components, uh, capacity for the homes and capacity for other development. So we're working through those strategies right now with all the parties. Uh, trying to um, find a way to make all this stuff work in combination. Uh, On the surface, from the dollar amount, it appears there's enough to try to get to all of those homes. Uh, The second challenge is physically, can you make that work? Um, You may have the money 
to extend the lines, but there are a lot of homes that are very, very widespread from each other, and you have some challenges uh, trying to keep the water clean and treated over these long distances. And you may have your your disinfection dissipate by the time it gets to the home, and they, they may be getting uh, stagnant or, or uh, uh, untreated water at that point. So, uh, you, you know, you're trying to hopefully build out systems, uh, build out the community, and get people to migrate closer to where the density is. And then that in itself makes the whole system more sustainable. Right. So, um, but it really depends on the individuals and the, the culture here, and everybody's so used to rural living. You know, they they came, they're coming out of a a ranching and herding type um, lifestyle, and you know, the younger generation is is in the eight to five job type. All right, thank you so much for that, Rex. We're going to be back right after this break. We got a couple of callers on. We'll get to you um, when we get back. Are you Native American with a disability and feel you have not been able to access services for you or a loved one? The Native American Disability Law Center can help. The Native American Disability Law Center is a not-for-profit 501c3, and there is no charge for this help. More info at 800-862-7271 or nativedisabilitylaw.org. Who support this show? Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy, and today we're focusing on wastewater. Do you know what happens on the other end of a drain? You got a question for us? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's get to some of the callers here. We have Jerry listening in in Albuquerque, New Mexico on KUNM. Hey, Jerry. Hey, how are you? Good. What's your question? Well, uh, let me explain. I'm interested in, first of all, I'm interested in, believe it or not, very interested in the subject because I'm a a Native American who migrated from another place. Uh, So I'm interested in Native American uh, issues in general, but I'm very interested in wastewater because I have a background in in urban and community planning. Let's just put it that way. Now, uh, that being said, uh, what I want to do is, first of all, uh, bring up the subject of methane digestion, which you, pr- you probably heard it. First of all, I want to thank you for all your good work, whoever I'm talking to, the guy there, when I tuned in. Uh, what is your name, sir? Uh, his name is uh, Art. Art. Art, you're doing a great job, very informative, and I'm one of the few people that tuned right in and didn't skip the channel when you announced you were going to talk about waste treatment, because <laughs> I'm very interested in that. Now, we have this thing called methane digestion. In Vermont, there are 17 methane digesters. Now, of course, they're geared toward dairy farming and agriculture, but it's the very same principle in which they, in their processing train, they extract the methane and turn it into electricity, and then it powers homes. And what I'm wondering is, what is the potential for doing this uh, uh, here on this scale? That's, That's my question. You follow me? Got it. Thank you so much for that, Jerry. Uh, well, let's all, uh, let's actually go to uh, David Harvey. David is the Deputy Director of Indian Health Service Division of Sanitation Facilities and Construction. Um, David, um, uh, using waste water to create energy, is that a possibility? Yeah, right. Does that happen? Yep. 
Well, technically it's possible, but uh, you typically, you know, it requires uh, larger volumes of wastewater that, you know, we usually don't, aren't being generated in Indian communities because of their size. So, you know, for that, that you know, that, that reason, and typically there, that hasn't been um, an option that's been, you know, uh, uh, brought up by, tri- by tribes is uh, being um, what they're looking to do. And uh, if, if, if that were the case, um, you know, there would there you know, health be interested in, in working working with them just to try to try to figure it out. But in general, typically because of the smaller flows and the rates, the the, the economics of it wouldn't uh, work out. Um, and um, you know, it, it definitely uh, the the, oper- the operational capacity is, would be a, a challenge. But it's a, definitely a good suggestion, mm-hmm. and, and and one that uh, you know, the health service would be interested in, in exploring that, but. Uh, uh, the, just the scale is probably not there. Okay. All right. Thanks. Uh, let's go to another caller. We have Gilbert listening in Farmington, New Mexico on KSUT. Hey, Gilbert, what's your question? Good morning. Good morning, Native America. Uh, my question is, well, um, my situation is I'm on NTUA uh, water system, uh, Navajo Tribal Utility Authority. We have a single family uh, septic system, uh, the tank and the leach line. Uh, my question is uh, bacteria. I guess uh, we have to have a bacteria in the septic tank. And I'm wondering what the uh, laundry soaps, uh, antibacterial soaps, disinfectants in the house, we pour that down the drain, go to the tank. I'm wondering how much damage that does. Uh, just blindly, just from what we see on TV, we. We buy additives. We add that to the, you know, go by the instructions, add it to our sep- uh, septic tank system. And uh, I'm just wondering how much uh, information is out there on that. Uh, you don't hardly hear anything about it. So anyway, and my house is just a single house. And to the individuals I called earlier, you know, if I bought it yesterday or last year, it's still my house, you know, so. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Gilbert, thank you so much for that. Let's go over to Rex Coons. He's the deputy director or a deputy general manager over at NTUA. Uh, Rex, chemicals, soaps? Yeah, I think anything that you put down the drain that you buy, you know, in the this, in this store, like dish soap and laundry soap, uh, it's probably not going to have a real hard impact on it. What, what you want to avoid is any kind of odd chemicals. I know out on Navajo, we have a lot of silversmiths, and sometimes they put some things down the drain that um, are detrimental to that, that biology. But uh, the, the septic system has a what they call anaerobic biology that lives in the absence of oxygen. And so those bugs are what you know eat, eat and digest the, the solids. But if you follow the right maintenance procedure, those tanks need to be pumped out every, about every three years. Uh, just because of the volume. So that's the main reason why, you know, I see septic systems failing is just people aren't pumping them like they're supposed to. So I think that's more important, uh, uh, the amount that you put down, you know, doing dishwater and laundry. Um, I, I don't think it's uh, significant enough. And I, I don't know from, you know, observing here that I've seen any kind of a, a major problem with that. But okay. if you put other non-wastewater chemicals down the drain, then that might have a more detrimental effect. Right. What about, um, what about things? 
um, any anything you shouldn't like flush or or put down the drain? Yeah, it, you know, it's just again, it's it's any kind of um, odd chemicals that aren't that aren't normally what you you know um, you know fuels like gasoline and any of those types of things. You don't you don't want to put any of that kind of stuff down down the drain. Just just household wastewater, you know, soaps, um, you know, the normal waste, uh, those types of things. And, you know, when in doubt, you know, find a different way to dispose of it. Okay. Uh, what about, like, grease and food and wipes and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, typically, you know, it, um, you, most... most um, uh, Toilet tissue, those types of things are, are made to break up very quickly in the environment. Uh, some of the wipes, uh, I think you more have you have more problems with uh, wipes and things like that, and and napkins or even rags uh, that tend to plug the line up more more so than cause a problem with the biology. So you don't want to put anything real bulky down. Uh, down the drain, uh, it's better to dispose of those in your your regular uh, solid waste uh, disposal. Got it. All right, let's go to another caller. We have Link in Taos, New Mexico, listening on KUNM. Hey, Link. Hey there. How are you? Pretty good. What's your question? Uh, I'm a certified wastewater operator. I've been involved here in New Mexico in liquid waste. Uh, I've been on different governors' task forces, one thing and the other, over a period of time. Uh, one of the problems we have, septic tank was invented in 1850. There were very few technologies that were that old that we still use. Septic tanks only removed 30% of the solids, which is only one of the contaminants of concern that we're concerned about. Uh, it's solids, nutrients, and pathogens are the three things that we're really concerned about with domestic wastewater. And solids, only 30% are removed by the septic tank. The 70% that are dissolved and suspended go out into the leach field, which hopefully has good enough dirt to treat it. Um, and then the nutrients are nitrogen, phosphorus. Uh, nitrogen is what we're really concerned about in New Mexico. But if you do a reuse plan, number one, when you're building your house, if you separate the gray water from the black water, you can reuse the gray water. And the point I want to make is all of the laws and regulations that are currently in effect are dealing with treating the water. They don't consider water to be a valuable resource. I personally do. I think we should recover all of the water and reuse it, not just use it once, throw it away, dump it in the ground or dump it downstream. Uh, I think those are wrong, wrong approaches to use water. Um, and I think that if you go back and rethink this, there are lots of ways to reuse the water for people uh, on their own property and for businesses, except uh, people haven't really explored this. But most centralized wastewater treatment schemes uh, cost a lot of money. Um, they involve all sorts of things like pipe and plastic pipe and other things that have to be glued together and cost a bunch of money. And can they be easily disrupted? Whereas I think you do source reduction at the source. You segregate the things that are most contaminated in the house, which is the toilet, obviously, and the kitchen sink. They have the highest solids load and generally pathogens that go with it. You segregate your laundry water. You segregate your bath water. And you can either treat those minimally, like running them through just a very small sand filter, which can be nothing more than a five-gallon bucket with sand in it, 
there are a lot of things that you can do to reuse the water on your own property, some that you can't put on food products, but can be used for any kind of other plants that you want to grow. And the other thing is that some treated gray water you can use for your garden or for growing trees or for doing you know, other types of things you might want to do. And again, that also keeps the water close to the source where it came from, puts it right back in the ground to replenish your aquifers. I just think we need to completely review the whole process in view of climate change and droughts. We don't need to be using water and throwing it away. So, mm-hmm. And you need to start your young people, maybe offer them a little prize, a $100 prize or $500 prize for a way to treat wastewater and reuse it, and encourage your young kids to get involved um, from day one about conserving water and coming up with cool ideas about how other people can do it too. Maybe you make a little money on the side, but mm-hmm. as well as you get some new ideas. The old <laughs> ideas just don't work anymore. All right. All right, Link, thank you so much for that. Um, I'm, I'm going to bring in another guest in, just right after this caller here, but um, uh, they are doing engineering. Uh, they're an engineer, and we would like to hear from them in just a bit. But we have a caller here. We have uh, Megan in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, listening in on K, uh, KNBA. Hey, Megan. Can you hear me? Oh, yep, we can. Great. I'm calling from Anchorage, Alaska, but I, uh, I'm an advocate for water and sewer uh, for my tribe. Right now, we have been um, trying to change the paradigm of how our unserved communities uh, become served with water and sewer. We have over 32, over 30 communities um, unserved in Alaska, $2 billion water and sewer need, and that's a very low estimate. And the challenge that we faced here in Alaska is that um, our state government has implemented a series of regulations that if we are not colonized enough, we don't get clean water. And so in the last three years, our tribes have worked together and led the way, established a pathway to service um, for unserved communities with the American Rescue Plan Act to fund the preliminary engineering reports for our unserved communities, and then also we're really thankful uh, with the IHS and the infrastructure bill and the sanitation funding, because now that the IHS is adequately funded with that infrastructure funding, it puts our tribes in a position to serve our unserved communities and create services and programs, engineering and environmental programs that are um, sorely needed. And so the challenge that we face now is as across America, you know, inflation is at an all-time high. Mm-hmm. We have a construction season that is absolutely um, short. You have to have all your pre-planning done before the spring barge. Everything on the barge, materials, um, labor lined out, so your projects are executed in very short construction season, and that drives up the cost. And so we are at a point in time where it is absolutely necessary for us to coordinate water, housing, sewer and roads. Um, it, it all is integrated development that um, to reduce the cost of construction, our tribes must be empowered to coordinate that investment. And right now with IHS, um, we have challenges where 
these regulations themselves increase the cost of construction. And so there are ways to partner in Alaska. I'm speaking, you know, more directed toward the IHS official that, you know, we have to partner with the Denali Commission here in Alaska. And, you know, the IHS is our most important partner in serving our communities. They're the primary agency responsible for access to clean water. And and it's our tribes that will lead the way if empowered to do so. And so thanks for sharing. I'll keep my comments short. All right. Thank you so much, Megan. Um, so joining us from Tucson, Arizona, is Dr. Ronson Chi. He's the founder and principal engineer of Riley Engineering, and he's Navajo. Um, welcome to the last couple minutes of Native America Calling, Ronson. Hey, Andy. Glad to be on the show. Thank you. Yeah. Gosh, there was uh, lots of callers. I, I kind of wasn't expecting there to be lots of callers, but um, we're hearing from one of the callers that, um, you know, engineering is something that we need to get young people into. Uh, you're an engineer. I mean, could you could you talk about what it's what your journey has been like to become uh, this engineer who who builds some of these wastewater systems for tribes? Yeah, so I think uh, for me, it, it, I'll just kind of explain my my story. Um, I, I grew up on the Navajo Reservation. Um, you know, limited water, hauling water, limited infrastructure, and for me, a big motivator was how, what can I do to help help change these issues? And for me, as I, you know, went to school, I I, I really started to get into uh, you know like construction and roads and buildings and bridges and i knew that was always a need on on my reservation so um and then it wasn't until i started to learn more about civil engineering that i realized water and wastewater is kind of your most critical infrastructure before you can have almost anything you need water and wastewater so that that's kind of where i started to focus my studies was uh, how do i become an engineer that can build these water and wastewater systems. Um, but I think the real, you know, the real demand and need is uh, in the civil engineering field. Um, there's not a lot of native civil engineers out there. Um, there's quite a, only a handful that I know of that actually can design water and wastewater systems. So I, I, urge, I encourage a lot of younger kids to go into the civil engineering field and that's really where you'll be able to have the skills to design these water, wastewater systems. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Ronson. We'll have to bring you back for another civil engineering show or construction show in the future. But that's all the time we have here. I'd like to say thank you to our guests, uh, David Harvey and Rex Coons, who were with us today. I'm Andy Murphy from the Navajo Nation. We'll see you next time. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strongheart's Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by Strongheart's Native Helpline. CMS programs are available to help manage diabetes in our communities. 
Enroll today. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Elahqua. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.